Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk. Today we're going to be speaking to Heather Powell. She's a dear friend of mine. I've known her for... I don't even know, a couple of decades. We have a lot in common. <laughs> We've, um, we were both diagnosed at a very young age. She was eight years old, and she's been living with kidney disease since, um, wow, 1981, Heather? Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So tell us a little bit about your, your journey of being diagnosed and growing up with kidney disease. Well, I um, I was diagnosed when I was eight, like you said, with medullary cystic disease, and it was very slow progressing, so it's kind of one of those things I didn't realize I felt as bad as I really did until they caught it and started dialyzing me, and I realized how bad I'd felt for so long, so... Um, and when I started at the hospital um, at Children's in Little Rock, they only did hemo. So I didn't have a lot of options. We just immediately went to hemodialysis. And that was rather traumatic as an eight-year-old child to mm-hmm. be faced with, you know, hemo and the needles and kind of scary, you know, as a yes, kid. Yes, I do know. <laughs> I know you I know. know. Yeah. <laughs> And we're little. We're both very tiny, so dialysis accesses and tiny veins don't usually coincide very well. Yeah. So that leads to a lot lot of of problems. Yes, exactly. So you started hemodialysis at 8. When did you get your first transplant? I was actually 14 when I got my first kidney. It was from um, a deceased donor, and I'd waited five years. Wow. That's tough. I've always had a high antibody problem. And that caused you to have the long wait for five years? Yes, yes. So how did that kidney turn out? It did well. I actually, um, cyclosporin was a brand new immunosuppressant Mm -hmm. then, and we actually had to sign like a waiver to get put on that medication because it was still in the testing phase. And I did really well, but back then... They tried to wean you off the immunosuppressants, and so as they um, weaned me off, I went into a um, acute rejection, caused some damage. So I actually was chronic rejection for about three years. And then, when did you? How old were you when you lost that kidney? I was nineteen. Okay, Just so started was- college. Not not a good experience at all. It's never a good experience to start dialysis. No. <laughs> I think that's going to be the general consensus right now, isn't it? Yeah. So you started and having ha- having had that um, dialysis as an eight year old. You know they've progressed yes. as as the years have gone by, but my memory was still being very ill when I was on. You know they couldn't regulate what they took off, so you got nauseous and had cramps and everything almost every treatment. So at nineteen. That was my thought, that I was headed back into that, and it was very overwhelming and traumatic. So did you go back on hemo, or did you choose PD? I did, actually. Well, I tried PD, but as you have experienced many surgeries, I have scar tissue in my abdomen, so 
PD would not work any longer. You didn't get good filtration. So I didn't really get, I mean, we tried it for a couple months and realized it was not giving me good clearances and good dialysis. So we had to switch to hemo. You know, I was really fortunate in that to be on PD for nine years. I don't know how, um, you know, because it did work for me and I had a yeah. lot of surgeries. It just, it just, I guess, matters where the scar tissue is <laughs> and, and how it impacts your peritoneum. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, mine was scarred beyond help. So I had to go back to hemo. Hemo. And then, so when did you get your next transplant? The next transplant I had was, um, in 2004, mm-hmm. and it was a kidney from my mother. Um, as they, as technology increased and they learned things, they learned how to lower antibodies with the IVIG treatments. So what what couldn't have happened at eight year old eight years old happened when I was 32. So um, I got my mom's kidney and it was a really good match. It went well and it lasted for 10 years. And you just got to stay alive till the next medical miracle happens, don't you? That's right. the real, real goal when you're when you have an illness. So the next technology comes out. Exactly. So your mom's kidney lasted for ten years, and did it just start to putter out? Did you start to not feel well, or what were your symptoms? I got sick on Thanksgiving of 2014, and through a series of just different, you know, a blood clot. Um, a blockage in my intestines, just numerous things kept pounding my body and infection. And they, I had to be on antibox for long term. And by February of 15, um, the immunosuppressant started causing or, or gave my stomach the ability to have a fungal infection grow. And the immunos were kind of the, the precursor to that. And so they had to stop the immunos to kill the fungus. And that, in turn, killed my kidney or just quit. Do you still have the kidney or did they have to remove it? No, I still have it. It just, I guess, quit because the immunos weren't in my system. So I never went through the rejection, really. Um, It was due to the infection, the fungal infection in my stomach. Wow. So, So what treatment are you on today? I am doing home hemo with the next stage machine. I knew when I lost the kidney, I wanted to be in control of my care. And so I told the doctor before I left the hospital that I wanted to train for home hemo. So um, we started that in March of 15. How does that compare to in-center hemo? Well, in-center is good, except, I mean, because, you know, they take care of all your care. So you don't have to worry with supplies and machine and, you know, access. But, um you are at the mercy of somebody else's schedule and have to get out and go to the clinic at least three times a week. Um, with next stage, I dial at home four times a week. So um, for me, it's just more convenient so that I can dialyze around my own schedule um, and have, you know, free time when I want it. And I'm in control of when I dialyze and all that. Now, I do follow the prescription like you would at a clinic, same time, uh, as far as, you know, it's about two hours and 55 minutes, four mm-hmm. times a week. But um, it's just a lot more convenient for me. And I like being in control of that part of my life. Do you think having the extra treatment helps with eating more or drinking more of what you want? 
I think so. It's more consistent with having a kidney because you dialyze more often. So I I can pretty much eat in moderation what I want. I do watch my fluid intake just, you know, because I don't like to have any extra fluid on. You know how that feels. Right. Yeah, no, I know. it's uh, We're little, so we can't take yeah. a lot of extra fluid. It, it builds up very quickly. And what about, like, your access? Do you have to cannulate yourself, or how does that work? Well, now, when I was on home hemo before, I did have a fistula. Um, at this time, they weren't able to get any accesses in as far as a fistula or graft, so I have a femoral catheter in my left leg. So what's really sobering about what you just said, Heather, is you're running out of dialysis accesses. And what what does that mean? I mean, you need to get another transplant. Is that an option? Yeah, it is, actually. Um, I actually got accepted at Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles in October. So Woo-hoo. we're looking forward to... yeah. That was exciting. I'm excited about Cedars because they transplanted me successfully. And yeah, well, you're you're my connection. There. I know I did. I glad you called me and said, "Yeah, go to them. They're the best." As far as uh, and I know there's a lot of great centers around the country, but Cedar Sinai, I believe, really understood people who are s- extremely difficult like uh, us. And yeah. I, I had to be yeah. one of the most difficult candidates to be transplanted and I'm almost six years with a 0.7 creatinine yay that's awesome (laughs) they're very good at you know it's a medical practice they're practicing on us and yeah they got it right with me and hopefully they'll be able to do the same with you so what's the process so you're you've you've got accepted into the transplant program um is it more likely to get a deceased donor, or are you looking for a living donor? Yeah. Right now they're testing. Um, I had five people who came forward who wanted to be tested, and so they're going through the process of, you know, their screening of, of who would be the best match. And you're just waiting to see what happens. But Yeah. It's scary. I mean, I, I'm in a similar situation because I I have very limited accesses left, and for people who don't know what that is, is that they've done so many different surgeries on our legs and our arms, and we've had catheters and different, because we've lived so long with this illness, they find it hard to put a permanent dialysis access in our in a, our leg or our arm where it'll work because of we've had so much damage from previous surgeries. So when when you run out of accesses, they can no longer access your blood. I mean, you really can't get dialysis. So it's a little bit of a, a quandary for you because you have a pretty quick timeline because how long can this catheter actually last? They gave us a timeline of two years, um, and, and March will be two years that I've had it. But I also have not had any infections, and that's the key with an, with a um, catheter. A catheter. They're very prone to infection, which at the, again is the reason I wanted to do home hemo. Um, there's nobody more cautious with your body than you are. Well, so I'm very conscientious of that whenever I access my catheter. Well, one of the things I don't think people realize about home dialysis, and you know, I spent the majority of my 13 years, I spent um, almost 10, 10 to 11 of them at home, is that, you know, you're in control of your own infection environment <laughs> and and you're not you're not prone to having to be next to somebody who has an infection or 
if somebody forgot to wash their hands, I mean, you hopefully that doesn't happen, but it, it does in healthcare. Um, you have right. to be vigilant about the people who care for you, making sure that they're practicing universal precautions, that they're um, looking at your your chart, knowing what your prescription is, and making sure that you're your own advocate. And so people think a lot of times when they go to a dialysis, you know, oh, I can just let them do everything. <laughs> no, you still have to be vigilant and pay attention to all the little details so you can catch something if it if it isn't right. You are your own best advocate, and, and you need to be brave enough to speak up when you see something that's not right. One of the things I wanted to mention is that you pursued a career in social work. You were a renal social worker for many years, and do you find it interesting because are you your own social worker <laughs> or do <Yes>. you <laughs> yeah, do you know any secrets funny. you can share with the group if if um if they don't have a social worker right at their fingertips <laughs> you have one all the time i think it's that old adage that the squeaky wheel gets the attention you just ha- if you know something's wrong you have to keep at it and be your own best advocate and talk to your doctor and nurses and, and keep it before them. It's, it, you You have to. I mean, I know when I suggested to you, hey, why don't you call Cedars-Sinai? You know, they might be able to help you. You were like, okay, I'm on it. And I think that a lot of times people think they have all the time in the world to pursue something. And I know because we're both had an illness at a young age, I've never believed I've had that much time. So I always act very quickly on any ideas because I'm like, I don't know how much time I have. But it's, I hear this all the time that people say, oh, I'm going to make an appointment with a doctor. Like they have a problem. Oh, I'll make, no, just make the appointment. You can always cancel it if you don't want it. But if there's a, a month to two month wait for, let's say an orthopedic surgeon and you're having some knee problems and you need to have it assessed, well, just make the appointment. And then if you decide in a couple of weeks that you you don't need the appointment or you don't want the appointment, then you cancel it. But if you wait until you actually need something, <laughs> it's not going to be there. You have right. to prepare. And you having a limited time with your dialysis access, you're being very, very proactive. And it sounds like, you know, things are going to work out. You, you're very fortunate to have. How many living donors do you have? I'm, I think you might be starting a record here. I have five. Wow. I know I know two have been ruled out already, but just the thought that somebody would um, even make the call. I mean, that's, I it's huge. Isn't it? It just, it, and you're a lot like, you know, me, we always want to help people. And sometimes it's just, it's so beautiful when people help us, but sometimes it's like, oh my goodness, I can't, it makes you, makes you feel so emotional. Yeah. And, uh, um, so, are there any tips or strategies as a social worker that that you've been applying to yourself to help you cope with all of this change? I think one thing is not to give up. Um, I did get evaluated here in Arkansas, and they wouldn't list me. And, you know, at first, it's like a punch to the gut, and then and you're like, no, you know what, this is not the end. I'm... I'm doing okay for having kidney failure. I'm pretty healthy. I'm going to keep searching. So I don't necessarily take the first answer, um, especially if it's one I don't like. <laughs> I keep going. 
And I think you have to do that. You have to be persistent because, um, like Cedar Sinai, they just do things differently and know how to work with antibodies so much better than they do here. So whatever problem you're having, if, if your PCP can't help you, if they, the specialist they refer you to can't help you, you just keep knocking on doors. And I think one of the things you have to do is really reach out to other patients because I, I can't tell you how many times, like I, I just did an interview and I learned so much from another person who has the illness. Everybody has different things that they deal with and we all have information. And if we share it and ask, we might be able to benefit from somebody else's experience. And that's the best thing about being in a peer network. Because as much as the doctors and the healthcare professionals care and try to provide you the information, they just don't know everything that's out there. And if you reach out to a group of people who have the illness, you never know what you'll find. And Your peers are really important for that, not just for the knowledge, but the support and the encouragement. Exactly. So when you get a call from Cedar saying, hey, we have a match. What's it going to look like from that point? Do you have to move here for a while? Um, yeah, I will have to be there for a little bit. I've already talked to um, the the team that is working with me, and the nurse's name is Summer, and she called and explained once a match is found, they have a four-week process where I'll have to be there that they work to desensitize me and um, make it where my body will be more acceptable for a transplant. So you'll have to come here to Los Angeles for um, four weeks to be desensitized. And and I think that really involves like, like IVIG, Rituxan, and other types of medication cocktails that yes. push your immune system down. And then they'll do a blood test and see if... if the living donor that's the closest match if it's a go and then they'll work to set up a date to transplant is that correct correct yes so one of my questions is 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 you know how are you going to afford this type of transition i mean have you budgeted for it i mean just in general of yeah that, that's a pretty above. that's a pretty big it's a pretty big tall order to move out of state for several months yeah Well, um, I'm blessed in that my insurance does allow um, for some expenses as far as, like, the transportation to and from California to be evaluated. They are supposed to cover. I mean, there's a whole process to go through, and it's not 100%, but every little bit helps. Um, My church family here also has helped us financially and uh, savings. I mean, as you know, growing up with a chronic illness, you know, we don't just save for a rainy day. We save for illness and health-related issues. So um, I've always been putting away some money that, you know, is my... Rainy day health care fund. Isn't that yeah. sad? Like, we have to save for for co-pays. <laughs> you do, and you have to plan ahead because, I mean, you know, then you have to plan ahead for medication and just all the different expenses that come out of that. So... But I, I am blessed that um, I have insurance and Medicare, and, you know, Medicare will pay for the transplant and the donor expenses, and then insurance will help as well. 
Well, that's lucky to have 100% coverage because to pay the 20% would be quite expensive. <laughs> yeah. And and so when do you think this may take place? Do you have any type of time frame or you're just taking it one day at a time? One day at a time, yeah. <laughs> and they kind of gave me a six-month window as far as, you know, this is a process. It's not you come get listed and boom, we have it set. We we play a, a waiting game as, as kidney patients and um, anyone who's on the transplant waiting list knows that. I mean, statistically, even for a cadaveric, they said it's a five to nine year wait. Mm -hmm. So when you think about that in terms of, you know, your health, that's you just take a day at a time and keep plugging along. If you look back, Heather, when you were eight years old or when you were a teenager, do you ever recall what people said in regards to your life expectancy? Because I do. I, I remember, you know, saying, oh, wow, she's still here. <laughs> yeah. She still made it. You know, she's still, wow, she's such a survivor. And I was hearing this at 16, 17 years old, which the message is, I mean, it was very nice of the healthcare professionals to save that. But when you're hearing you're sick, oh, wow, she's a survivor, you you think, wow, I really wasn't supposed to make it, was I? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and um, how that plays on your psyche after you've been doing this for 30 years. You just, I don't pay attention to them anymore. <laughs> I don't either. I think I think one gift my parents gave me growing up is I never knew I wasn't supposed to live. Right. And that's something they've told me now later as an adult that, um, oh, yeah, they, they said many times you wouldn't make it. And I think. I don't know, not knowing that. I mean, I didn't know any better. I just plugged along and kept going because you don't know you're, you know, you don't have the give up attitude. Right. And, it, it you know, the other saying is if I knew known I'd live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. <laughs> um, that's the other message. I guess you learned that, too. <laughs> that's what we all have. Yeah, to there's things they say that that they don't do now. Well, they did it back when we were kids, and now they found out, oh, wow, we, we don't do it that way anymore because we know it's not the best way. Well, you know, that's too late for us. Right, exactly. And hopefully the 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 people who are being diagnosed today, unfortunately, and have to live with kidney disease, you know, because you have to live with it for the rest of your life, they learn from from people who've gone before them and try not to make the same mistakes and yeah. And, you know, we're paving the way. We're the pioneers. That's true. Well, Heather, thank you so much for sharing your story about, you know, really reviewing, you know, the treatment options. I mean, you're after reviewing them over and over again. And it, it really shows that there are so many treatment options available now than when you were diagnosed. And you just got to keep searching for the next treatment that will help you improve your life. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.